Please join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. Stories of faith that connect us. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut or Colorado, the United States or Europe or anywhere in the world. Can you guys hear? Oh. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Okay, I'll just talk normally. Perfect. Okay, cool. Welcome up. You guys want to get. Here's our title. The Dark by Lemony Snicket. The Dark. Laszlo was afraid of the dark. The dark lived in the same house as Laszlo, a big place with a creaky roof, smooth, cold windows, and several sets of stairs. Sometimes the dark hid in the closet, sometimes beneath the shower curtain. But mostly it spent its time in the basement. All day long the dark would wait, uh, would wait in, a, in a distant corner far from the squeaks and rattles of the washing machine, pressed up against some old damp boxes and a chest of drawers no one ever opened. At night, of course, the dark went out and spread itself against the windows and doors of Laszlo's house. But in the morning, the dark would be back in the basement where it belonged. Laszlo would peek at the dark every morning. Hi, he would say. Hi, dark. Laszlo thought that if he visited the dark in the dark's room, maybe the dark wouldn't come visit him in his room. But one night, it did. Laszlo, the dark said in the dark. The voice of the dark was as creaky as the roof of the house, and as smooth and as cold as the windows, and ever through the dark was right next to Laszlo, the voice seemed very far away. What do you want? asked Laszlo. I want to show you something, said the dark. In here? No, said the dark. Here? No, no, said the dark. Downstairs. Downstairs? Yes, said the dark. In Laszlo's living room was the biggest window in the house. Laszlo looked out at all the dark outside. Above him the roof creaked, 
and he closed his eyes. Now the dark was all Laszlo could see. No, no, said the dark again. Not there, down here. In the basement, asked Laszlo. Yes, said the dark. Laszlo had never dared come to the dark's room at night. Come closer, said the dark. Laszlo came closer. Even closer, said the dark. You might be afraid of the dark, but the dark is not afraid of you. That's why the dark is always close by. The dark peeks around the corner and waits beneath the door. And you can see the dark up in the sky, always, every night, gazing down at you as you gaze up at the stars. Without a creaky roof, the rain would fall on your bed. And without a smooth, cold window, you could never see outside. And without a set of stairs, you could never go down into the basement, where the dark spread, spends its time. Without a closet, you would never, you would have nowhere to put your clothes. And without a shower, you would, uh, you would splash water all over the bathroom. And without the dark, everything would be light, and you would never know if you needed a light bulb. Bottom drawer, said the dark. What? Bottom drawer, said the dark. Open the bottom drawer. Thank you, said Laszlo. You're welcome, said the dark. By the time Laszlo got back into bed, the dark was no longer in his room, except when he closed his eyes to go to sleep. The next morning, Laszlo visited the dark in the basement. basement. Hi, he said. Hi, dark. The dark didn't answer, but the bottom drawer was still open, so it looked like some like something in the in the corner was smiling. The dark kept on living with Laszlo, but it never bothered him again. And that is the end. One of the most uh, well-known metaphors for the life of the Christian is as people of light. And we heard that this morning in our call to worship. Uh, we heard, Rise, your light has come, which comes from Isaiah 60. And we heard it again in the hymn, which comes from Matthew 5, just after Jesus has taught about the Beatitudes. And he says, you are a light. And, um, you know, in English, we do this play on words. I drive by another church on my way home, and they always have something about um, the sun shines here. But we do a play on words about sun, S-U-N, and sun, S-O-N. So we have these light metaphors in the Christian tradition. But darkness is a symbol of life and a metaphor for God. And it's not one that we hear as often. But in the Bible, God comes in a cloud or in a smoky pillar. And God comes sometimes just as darkness, which is what we'll hear in this reading 
which comes right after God has given the Israelites the Ten Commandments. And the thunder has died down and the lightning is going away and someone has to go talk to God more. This is on page 63 in your pew Bible, if you want to follow along. Exodus 18 through 21. Now when all the people perceived the thunderings and the lightnings and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood afar off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to prove you and that the fear of him may be before your eyes, and you may not sin. And the people stood afar off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Fear of the dark uh, is probably a fairly universal experience for people. Even once we're older and wiser and we know that the dark doesn't hurt us, um, we're still pretty eager to turn on a light when we walk into a dark room. (laughs) I've always liked the saying, I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of what's in the dark. And I know that my fears have shifted over time, so I'm not so much afraid of a robber or a monster hiding there for me, but I have these more practical fears, like a table that's gotten moved and the corner's going to catch me right on the leg, or a toy that's been left on the floor for me to trip over. Those things that lurk in the dark are rarely friendly. And it's why being a person of the light sounds so appealing. Because people who are people of the light can vanquish the dark. We can make it go away and we can make any possible evils go away. Which is why in December of 2017, a poem in Sojourner's Magazine caught my eye. The poet... Isaac Villegas reimagined all of our Christmas words about light and glory into a poem about darkness and glory. And it went like this. In the beginning was the end, and in the end, silence. And the silence is God. She was and is God, all of life born through her. She flashes rays of darkness, and the whiteness does not overcome her. Because in her is life, and her life is flesh like midnight. In the dark, her eyes flicker to home, and her chest trembles with the quiet of the Most High. We have seen her glory in a raven's black sheen. And it is beauty's shadow. And Tihom, which he references there, refers to the early waters of creation, what some people have called the great deep. And Reverend Viegas calls us back to that darkness, the darkness of creation and new creation. And it made me think of dark, rich soil or the darkness of outer space with all of its mysteries. Biblical texts 
presented in a few different ways. First Kings said, The Lord had said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. Psalm 18 notes that God made darkness his covering and his canopy all around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky are in God. And later, Psalm 97 praises the clouds and the thick darkness that surround God. Righteousness and justice are there. With those things, I begin to see the reason that spiritual seekers have often retreated to caves. Or why even today in monastic traditions, they will wake up to pray in the night. And so what I loved about this book is that it's not just that classic afraid of the dark story. The dark that lives with Laszlo is creepy, but also friendly. And because of that, it invites us to play a little bit with our language for God and our metaphors for faith. And I am going to say, because I was working on this, that messing around with metaphors, especially ones like this, like light and dark that are so established, gets messy. Um, We understand the idea of being light in the world because we understand the fear and the bravery that's required to counter the darkness. So that makes sense to us, and it takes a switch to think about the dark. But when we look back at how Jesus taught, he was all about playing with metaphors and flipping worldviews. And I think with good reason, because when an idea becomes entrenched, it loses its wonder. And when it loses its wonder, it loses its power. But the other thing is that when we stop playing with metaphors, when we stop seeing them as metaphors and we start seeing them as truth with a capital T, we lose sight of some things and we take on some other things and in many ways the idea of light as dark as good and dark as bad has become that kind of truth we see that in how we do our christmas pageants right angels wear white and brides wear white and the white knights are going to fight the dark knights and we know which side we want to win and where it seeps in in unexpected ways throughout our language is in conversations about race and racism and it ends up supporting ideas that these metaphors were never meant to support simply because of the way we use our language. So it's fair, I think, to play with them now and again. And it's also good that we are doing this on a day when we are together in the sanctuary, all of us, because you know who's really good at playing with language, and it's children. So I just invite you to let their playful spirit surround you and fill you as we ponder a few ideas. And we're just going to wonder about them, and we're going to see where it takes us into some possibly deeper understandings for our spiritual lives. So I'm wondering, first of all, for all of you, about your experiences of physical darkness. Not just that metaphorical darkness that we can go to, but the kind of real darkness that we experience with our eyes and our bodies. 
It might be worth taking a minute and thinking for yourselves, when was the last time you experienced real darkness? And what was that like for you? My family did a lot of backcountry camping when I was a kid and a teen. And up there in the mountains, the dark took on a different quality. It was affectionate in a way. And even as a young child, I would fearlessly wander this parcel that we kind of considered our territory when we were out there, even without a flashlight. I'd step out of the tent in the middle of the night, and I might be shivering from that cold mountain air, but I wasn't afraid of the things I couldn't see. The flowers smelled different at night, and the breeze sounded different in the dark. And because I got to know them that way, I often felt like I knew them better than I knew the trees in my own front yard. The trees in my yard were lovely in the daylight. At night, their shapes would startle me. And if I walked by a window and kind of got them at the side of my eye, I'd have to calm my heart. If we had to go outside after dark to do the occasional chore like closing up the chickens or grabbing more wood for the fire, it always took at least two people. And usually even then there was a sprint back to the house with one person with the flashlight in front and the other person behind them yelling, wait! And so I wonder why the dark in one place was friendly and welcoming, but the dark in the other place was menacing and scary. And as I'm thinking about that today, the only difference between those two places was the presence of light at home. And maybe what happens is that those shining lights coming out of our house, pushing away at the darkness, didn't make it more comfortable. Maybe it made it less comfortable. In her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, Barbara Brown Taylor explores this exact phenomenon. We know, we know that dark is good for us biologically. We need dark to regulate our days at a cellular level that we don't even completely understand. People can struggle with too much light the same way that they can struggle with too much dark. Both are necessary. And now we even have a term for the overabundance of light. We call it light pollution. And it causes as much damage to our ecosystem as the trash that fills our oceans. And so as I wonder about that, I wonder about the spirituality of darkness and why we also resist it. You know, when God called the Israelites out into the darkness, they were like children, arguing over who had to go close the chickens. Faced with the choice of knowing God better in the dark, they chose less intimacy in the light. 
Laszlo's response to the dark is a little different. He's afraid of it, right? He says he doesn't like the way the dark lives with him, and he definitely doesn't like it when the dark beckons him from the basement. But when he ventures into the dark, he learns something interesting. And the book closes with the dark still lived with Laszlo, but it never bothered him again. And I'm taking a little license with the story here, but it's fun to imagine that maybe the reason that the darkness never bothered Laszlo is because he had befriended it. Maybe Laszlo learned to use his new little light bulb as much as he learned not to use it, to sit quietly in the dark and to wonder what it could teach him. And maybe he learned to do that as often as he flipped on a light and pushed the darkness away. And so I wonder what it would look like if we valued spiritual darkness in this way. I wonder if we could understand God better if we befriended the parts of ourselves that we rarely allow to see daylight. Could we come to know them with the same affection and familiarity that we might show to the flowers and the trees and that breeze on a moonless, high country night? I don't know for sure. And so I'm just wondering and inviting you to experiment. And so I have a suggestion for all of us this week, and that is to spend some time in the dark. I'd like to suggest that we try meditating on the dark, the same way that we light a candle and meditate on the light. And I'm wondering and looking forward to hearing back from all of you about what that teaches you about God and yourself. And I think if nothing else, one thing we might come away with is the reminder that no one metaphor captures the fullness of God. And with that, we will be better able to respond to the complexities of faithful living in a time where all kinds of dark and light surround us. With that in mind, I invite us to join in singing Bring Many Names. And we are doing today just verses 1 and then 4 through 6. we come to you today just as we are. And we come to you trusting that nothing but a sincere heart is needed. And so we come as a people of gratitude. And we are joyful for the good news among us. We thank you for the signs of new life, however they are happening. For new babies. For new puppies for sobriety celebrations, and for new homes going up. 
And we thank you for the snow that covers the mountains. We thank you for long weekends. And we thank you for time spent in solitude to recharge and for time spent with family and friends to refresh. We are a grateful people. God, the joys and the sadnesses of the world don't diminish our joy. But it is also a privilege to be a praying people. And so in addition to bringing our gratitudes today, we pray for those who are in need of safety. We pray for those who need shelter. We pray for those concerns and worries that are so heavy on our hearts. We haven't even dared yet to say them aloud. And as a community, we name together in particular Bonnie's son for your healing, Lord, we pray. For Orlando, we pray. For Daryl, we pray. For Richard, and his daughter, for Robert. We pray for these people we may not know because they have been brought to us in love. And we join together to carry each other's burdens. We pray too for ourselves for any cares that we might have, for any things that burden us, but also for the wisdom to discern our way forward, to choose between light and darkness, and to trust that we will find you in unexpected places. And so we join together, saying the prayer that Jesus taught our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. When we come to a time of announcements, you will hear that there are many opportunities before us in this congregation, and there are many ways that we have the chance to give. And I'm reminded of a story that Jesus told about a woman who gave only a few cents when she went to give her offering. And Jesus lifted her up as an example to all because even though she gave only a little bit, she gave everything she had. And so as you look at the opportunities that come forward in this congregation, consider what you can give to, 
knowing that you are judged on generosity, but not on amount or quality. And if you have the financial resources to give today, there are tables in the back with offering plates or with cards that tell you how to give electronically. And all things are welcome here. Go now to love and to serve, but also to be transformed by the diversity that exists in God's world. And as you do this, you can do it without fear because you know that the God of light and of darkness, of age and of youth, who is both male and female, walks always with you. Go now in peace. Amen. Thank you.